For the past couple of weeks, I've been talking about some hymns that are favorites of many people. Well, one of them wasn't, isn't maybe a, a real big favorite. It's Onward Christian Soldiers. And the second one, though, that we talked about, which was last Sunday, it is a favorite of many, many, many people. It's Amazing Grace. Today, we're going to look at the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Now, what we've been doing is looking at the songs, the story behind the song, and then seeing what Scripture has to say so that we can learn something about who God is and how God wants to walk with us on the journey of life. Now, this particular song today, It Is Well With My Soul, happens to be my wife's favorite song. I asked her just for clarity a few minutes ago, and I asked her why, because I've never really understood why. I think I know why, and this is the real reason, but I'm going to say this anyway. I think when I really aggravate her and I push her buttons and she wonders why in the world did I ever marry that man and she realizes okay it's going to be all right God you you've got him and you've got no, that's not really the reason I know but well she's not saying no but when we think about this song it is well with my soul we have to remember something we all have had or we all will at some point, go through something that will test our faith. It will, there, there will be something in your life that will stretch you, and you will say, God, I can't handle this. God, this is too much. God, this isn't fair. God, this doesn't make any sense. And you may cry out and say, God, why? And the why lasts for more than a day or two. It's a journey. It's a struggle. And I want you to think about the story behind this particular song. Many of us know this story, but I just want to refresh the memory of those who may not have heard it before. It was written by Horatio Spafford. He lived in Chicago with his wife, Anna. The time period is the 1800s. And in the year, uh, now Horatio and Anna, he was a lawyer and he was a real estate developer. He was very wealthy. He had, his life was going pretty good on many levels. He worshiped regularly. He gave a lot of money to a lot of causes in the Chicago area. He faithfully served his church. In other words, he was a, an amazing man, an amazing follower of Jesus. He had five children, four daughters and a son. And if you and I, and Horatio and Anna were in our church today, we would look at them and say, what a blessed family. God is walking with them, and God has blessed them, and they've blessed so many people. Well, in the year 1871, things began to change for the Spafford family. Their only son, four-year-old son, got sick and later died of scarlet fever. I've never lost a child. I don't know what that's like. But the Spaffords lost their son. In the same year of 1871, the Chicago fires swept through the city and destroyed a lot of property and life. Of the properties destroyed, the Spaffords lost almost all of their real estate holdings. So now they've lost a son, 
And now he's lost much of his income. Things settled down in their life for a couple of years. They decided, look, let's go on a vacation. They were going to go to Europe, but work delayed Horatio. He had to stay back. Anna and their four daughters left Chicago to board a ship in New York City. On their way to Europe, the ship that Anna and the others were on collided with another ship. And the ship that they were on sank very, very quickly. And all four of their daughters died. She was saved. When she made it to England, she sent a telegraph. If you don't know what a telegraph is, it's an old, old, well, it's an early form of a cell phone. It was a way to communicate. She sent a telegraph signal to her husband, who by this time had already heard of the boating accident. And these were the words, saved alone. That was her way of saying, all of our children are now gone. He left Chicago, made his way to New York, got on a boat to be with his wife. And as he neared the spot where the two ships collided, he cried out to God, and then God flooded his heart and his soul, and the words to it is well flooded his heart. And he wrote down those lyrics. Now, I don't know if you were paying attention to the song, the words of the song, when we sang it just a moment ago, the song really didn't talk about his loss, did it? It didn't mention his wife. It didn't mention his son. It did not mention his daughters. It didn't mention any of that. The song really focused on Jesus. And it focused on hope. And it focused on peace. And that's what's so amazing about this song because this couple, this man... In a two-year period, lost all of his children. I can't imagine. I have no way of trying to wrap my hands around what emotion he may have felt. I've known people, I've cared for people as a hospice chaplain and as a pastor who have lost their children. It is the highest form of grief. And here's the reality that I want you and me to understand this morning. Again, it's not a matter of if we will go through something that will test our faith. It's a matter of when we will go through something that will test and challenge our faith. So how in the world can we be like Horatio? How can we have such confidence? Well, it comes from knowing the creator of this world. It comes by saying, God, I may not understand it, but I will put my hope and trust in you. So I want us to look at Psalm 46, three verses, the first three verses, because these verses kind of remind us of who we are, but more importantly, who God is. This is how we read, or this is how the words read. God is our refuge and strength a helper who is always found in times of trouble. I want to read that again. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Verse 2, Therefore we will not be afraid, 
I want to read that one again. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though its waters roar in foam and the mountains quake with its turmoil, I'm going to read the first part of verse 2. We will not be afraid. The psalmist in his wisdom understood something very profound. That God is our refuge and our strength. And no matter what is going on in our life, no matter how terrible, how traumatic, how devastating, God is our refuge and our strength. He will help us. He will. It's a promise. Now, that doesn't change the tragedy, does it? I mean, when you're going through something that's difficult, when you're going through something that stretches you, when you're going through something and you cry out, God, why is this happening to me? I don't understand. It's not fair. It doesn't make any sense. It is easy for us to focus on what's wrong, what's not right. It's easy to place blame. It's easy to deflect. It's easy to doubt. It's easy to question. It's hard to have faith. It's challenging to put your trust in a God who allowed that tragedy to happen. And that's where a lot of us are. And yet we know Scripture, or we've read the Scripture, and we say, yeah, God, you're my refuge, or yeah, you're my strength, but where were you at that moment? Why did you let this happen? I think one of the classic stories is the story of Job. Like the Spaffords, Job lost all of his children. I mean, all of his children. Job lost all the means of his income. And then Job suffered a horrible disease. His closest friends initially comforted and gave him strength and sat with him, and then they reached the point where they said, you're bad. You're just an evil man. God doesn't really care about you anymore, Job. Why don't you just curse God and die? Job refused to curse God, but Job wondered and cried out, God, why is all of this happening? His wife nagged him. His wife even said, why don't you just curse God and die? It's as if Job was just all alone in this world, left to wonder why, with no answers. He cried out to God. He begged God. He questioned God. And God was silent throughout most of the story of Job until you get to chapter 38, which is near the end. And what God said to Job is very profound. And this is where you and I really need to listen. This is what God said to Job. He says, The Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Now, this the whirlwind, like a tornado. I don't know if it was a tornado, whatever it was, God answered Job. And this is what he said. Who is this that questions my wisdom? 
with such ignorant words. I love that. Who are you, Job? Who are you to question me with your ignorance? Now, we all are a little like Job. We're all a little ignorant sometimes. Because here's what happens when tragedy strikes. We elevate ourselves to the forefront of the scene and say, I am important. I don't deserve this. I should have never had this happen to me. That's normal and natural. I'm going to give every single one of us that. I have been there myself. I have said such things. And yet, God says, what are you doing? You just don't get it. Because later in chapter 38, God basically says this to Job. Were you alive, Job, when this world was created? Did you speak and form the earth? Did you speak and the sun appeared? Did you speak and stars were made? Did you create the seas and the mountains? Did you speak and create trees and grass and all of the animals? Did you have anything to do with any of that, Job? And of course, Job's not going to say anything. You know, if, if, if you remember when you were younger, you know, when you're a teenager, teenagers had this idea that they know everything, or at least most everything. And some children may think, oh, I know everything. Well, I've got Google. Well, if you've got Google, you don't know it. Google knows it. Well, anyway, so here's the thought. We think we know so much and we think we have so much power and ability, and when we find ourselves in tragedy, we are drugged down into this, this pit of despair, and we wonder, God, why did you let this happen if you are so powerful, so loving, so gracious? And that was Job. It may, may have even been Horatio Spafford. We don't really know what he was thinking when he got the news. We don't even know what Horatio Spafford was thinking when he read in the newspapers of the day there had been a ship sink in the Atlantic that he knew his wife and children were on. Can you imagine the emotion he was feeling? Did my wife and children make it? Have I lost them all? And then to have received the telegram, saved alone, and then the agony and, and all of that emotion as he made his way to meet his wife. And then to write that beautiful song, It is well with my soul. Now we, we can grieve, we can sorrow, we can go through the emotion. I'm saying to you, it is okay to do that. We just need to remember as we are pouring out our soul, we have to remember, God, it's easy for me to focus on what's wrong, what's not right, to place blame, to, to doubt, to wonder, to, to go all through all of those emotions. So how can we move beyond the self-centeredness? to reach the point where we can say, God, it is well with my soul. I want to bring you back to Psalm 46, verse number 1. God is our 
refuge. He's our protector. God protects. You know, you may go, eh, I don't feel like it right now. If you just read a little through Scripture, when God spoke to Noah and said, I'm going to send a, a flood to cover the earth, he told Noah what to do when Noah built the ark and Noah went in the ark. <clears throat> and then, do you remember who shut the door on the ark? It wasn't Noah. It wasn't Noah's sons. It wasn't anyone but God himself. God closed the door of the ark. God protected Noah on that big ark boat. Another scripture, Joseph. Joseph, at that time of his life, was the youngest of the sons. His brothers hated him, sold him into slavery. He ended up going from one disaster to another disaster. And the latest of his disasters, falsely accused, in prison, wondering, God, why am I here? But he remained faithful and he had hope. And then he later learned that God had put him through all of that to save a nation. I mean, come on. I mean, if I'm Joseph, I'm probably thinking, God, you could have done it another way, right? I mean, I didn't have to go to prison. I didn't have to be falsely accused. I didn't have to be sold into slavery. I didn't have to. Why did you do that to me? But God protected Joseph, and Joseph served God faithfully. And then, very famous story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those things just roll off your tongue, don't they? They stood before the king of the day and said, We will not bow and worship you, for there is no God but our God. And the king said, Throw them in the fiery furnace. All right, I mean, it, it, my name's not Shadrach, but if my name had been Shadrach, or if, they'd, if I had been, if it had been Sam, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm looking at my two buddies going, uh, we're about to die. I mean, they saw what happened as the door opened. The door opened, and the people that opened the door, were it was so hot, they died. It's, poof, they just poof, burned up. They threw them in. God put a, a wall of protection in the hot furnace. And when the king came and looked and said, wait a minute. They're still alive, and there's not three but four. Let them out. Only three came out. The fourth was Jesus. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on their clothes. Not a single hair was singed because God protected them. You see, those are the stories we read, and you go, I want to sign up for that kind of protection plan. Because they had to go through the heartache, though. See, we miss that, don't we? We, we only see what God did in that miracle, but they faced death. Then there was Daniel in the lion's den. When God called David to be the king, and he put him in Saul's court, numerous times Saul hunted David, tried to kill David, and each time God protected David from Saul because he had a plan for David's life to be the new king. But David had to go through the agony and the torture of Saul, who was his father-in-law, trying to constantly hunt him down and kill him. 
And David at times wondered, God, why, 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 why is this happening? Can't you just get rid of Saul? I mean, how long is this going to take? But he stayed faithful. Then there are other stories. God is your refuge. He's your protector. He's got you. And then there's another thing of verse 46, or Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our strength. See, the thing is, none of us has the strength to put up with what the devil throws our way. We're, we're just people. We don't have that kind of physical strength. I was told by my doctor to walk more and, and get more in, not in shape, but exercise. And so I've been trying to walk, or at least according to this watch, get 10,000 steps a day. Being a hospice chaplain, this is basically what I do. Sit in the car, I ride from one place to the other. I walk in a short distance to the house or the assisted living. I sit down, and then I'll do that all day long. In a typical day, I usually get about 3,000 steps a day. That's not much. And when I heard 10,000 steps, I thought, eh, I can do that. Oh, gosh. Listen, that's a lot of steps. So I started walking our neighborhood. My legs hurt. And then I decided I'm going to start using some weights. I needed to not buff up, but I needed to, you know, tighten things up a little bit. I've got some dumbbells, appropriately named for someone like me. They're 20 pounds. I, I decided first I was going to start before picking up the 20-pound dumbbells that I was going to do some push-ups. I used to could do some push-ups. When I got down on the first night and started the first, first one, I thought, oh, okay, that hurts. And after the third one, I was thinking, I don't, I don't think I'm going to make it to five. I made it to five, and I said, I, I got to get to ten. And then I started cheating. I started going about, you know, just a little bit. And, and it hurt. And I'm thinking, I'm weak. And then I got my dumbbells, and I'm doing stuff with them, and it's just painful. And I thought, why am I doing this? I just need to forego all of this strength training and just be me. Well, I'm pressing on. I'm saying that to say to you, we have limited strength. Our bodies can only do so much. Our minds can only do so much. We, we know as we get older, some of you are older than me. Some of you are younger than me. And, and as we get older, what I've noticed is my strength isn't what it used to be. I just don't have that energy level I used to. Well, God has strength. He reminded Job, he reminded us, God is the creator of everything. God can speak and it happens. God reminds us that he is not just the strength of creation, but he is the sustainer of life. God keeps everything in perfect harmony so that we can breathe air, so that water flows, so that food grows. God gives us life, and God is also sovereign. 
See, when we read those great stories of the Old Testament, we get excited sometimes and we say, I want to see that happen in my life. And when it doesn't happen, that's when we go into a tailspin and we really are wanting the song, It Is Well With My Soul To Be True, but we struggle. But when it comes to the sovereignty of God, we kind of go, God, you're sovereign. Why is this happening to me? Just some quick examples of God's strength. God parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could pass through on dry land. That's a big miracle, by the way. And then, not only that, but God one time made an axe head float. It sank, and God said, oh, I'll make it float back up. And then there are other scriptures where when the disciples were on the boat and the storm came and they were afraid, Jesus looked at them and said, where is your faith? He just looked at the storm and said, peace be still, and the storm stopped. You see, that's where so many of us are. We're with Jesus on the boat of life, and we want the storm to just stop. Sometimes, though, we need to let the storm ride out. But the greatest miracle that Jesus did was this. He was raised from the dead. He gave his life on a cross, was buried dead, and he was raised the third day. He defeated death. He defeated the grave. And so that is something we need to hang our own hats on. Because of that, that is why Horatio Spafford said, there is a day coming, there is a day coming when I will be with my children again. Now, he didn't say it quite that blunt. The last verse, that's what he was talking about. Not even death will separate us from our loved ones. Death will not separate us from God. There is nothing that will separate us from God. So when you're going through tragedy, remember that God is your refuge and he's your strength. He's got you in his hand. He's got you. Now, one final thing. You may be wondering... If God is so amazing, then why in the world do we suffer? Books have been written about this, by the way. I mean books, long books. And I'm going to give you a very simplistic answer in two minutes. Does that sound fair? I'm going to do it whether it's fair or not. The reason we suffer in this life, the simple reason is this. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, and Adam chose to sin. The Bible teaches us that sin entered the world. And with the price of sin, pain and suffering came. And then death comes to all of us on this side of heaven. That is a simple answer. I think I did it in less than two minutes. See, here's what happens. We will suffer in this world because of our own sin but also the sin of all people. That's why we have funeral homes. That's why there are hospitals. That's why there are cemeteries. That's why we get old. That's why arthritis creeps in. That's why we get headaches. That's why couples break up. You see, the the list could go on and on and on. The suffering that we experience is the price of sin. And God says, I'm not going to interfere with that price, but I want you to know this. When you're experiencing the price of sin, I will be your refuge and I will be your strength to help you get through that moment. 
And God wants you to know this. When we are going through a tragedy, when we're going through a difficult time, that trying of your faith, if you let it in, it will actually help you grow in your faith. You see, James wrote in the first chapter, verses 2, 3, and 4, basically said this, troubles, troubles, difficulties, or opportunities for great joy. They're opportunities, meaning you can choose for the opportunity to bring joy and peace into your life, or you can choose to let troubles destroy you, ruin you. Or you can just turn it around and say, God, I refuse to let that happen. I want joy. I choose joy. I choose peace. I want that. I want you to help me grow through this tragedy so that I can experience what you want to give me. He continues in James 1, it is the testing of our faith that helps us to grow. Growing's not always fun. I used to could do more push-ups and set-ups. I never had a six-pack. I've got more of a, well, it doesn't matter what I've got. Um, I, never, I never had big muscles. I wasn't, I'm not built that way. But I could do some setups and push-ups. But then when I stopped doing that, guess what happened? My muscles got weak. And I remember telling Rhonda five days after doing several setups, I hurt. You know, like a husband, a man, when we hurt, we whine. I was like, yeah, it hurts. And she's like, where does it hurt? And I went, right here. Right there where I was pulling, it just doesn't feel good. I wasn't whining that bad. But when you use something you haven't used in a while on your body, your muscles, you begin, they begin to go, what are you doing? And why are you doing this? I just want you to leave me alone. But then later, the more you do it, the stronger the muscle gets. And see, the same is true with our faith. If we don't exercise our faith, if we don't say, God, I just want an easy float down the river of life with no trouble, no rapids, no bumps, no bruises, just let me float down the river until the end of time, your faith will be weak. But when you've got to go through the rapids, when, you, when you've got to hit the rocks, when you get thrown out of the boat, and you got to climb back in the boat. You're thinking, I'm not going to make it. And God's saying to you, you're going to make it. Exercise your faith. Or maybe to put it in more other words, exercise your muscle of faith. Use it. Develop it. Endure. Because James reminds us that we can actually learn to endure troubles and experience God. See, those are the choices we face. And when we choose to say, God, I can't prevent trouble. I can't 
prevent tragedy. I can't isolate myself. I'm not on the lazy river at the water park. I'm on the rapids. And there are rocks and maybe waterfalls, but I'm going to go with it. And I'm going to ride it. And I'm going to exercise faith. And I'm going to have courage because, God, you are my refuge and my strength. But I'm going to have to trust you rather than me. Because me, I haven't really got it. But you've got it. And I will trust you. And I will believe. Because when Job heard God tell him all who God is and all that God had done, and when Job finally listened to God and understood his life, not from his perspective, but from God's perspective, Job 42.2 says this. This is what Job said. I know, God, you can do anything. You can do anything, and no one can stop you. When we can say that, as Job could say it, when Horatio Spafford reached that spot, and when God flooded his heart and soul with his words of this song, it is well with my soul, he was saying, God, you can do anything. You can do anything, and no one can stop you. And God, I want your presence. I want you to fill me with peace. See, that's what will get us through the difficulties of life. We're not going to get away from it. But it's how we approach it and how we go through it that makes all the difference. Imagine what your life would be when you learn that very simple truth. God, help me to face it with courage and faith, knowing that you are my refuge and my strength. Let's pray together.